Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back yes. to the China Shop. I'm your host, and joining <laughs> me today is our favorite not quite economist, but almost aspiring, uh, Eric Smolinski, host of ES Invests. How are you doing today, Eric? Uh, definitely not aspiring to be an economist. <laughs> are you sure? Because uh, you got a lot of compliments on that roundtable episode. I, I like being able, well, I didn't hear any of them, but I, I like being able to trade and live a simple life, not worried about the relationships of everything. Simple life, like Paris Hilton. I'm a simple people. <laughs> What's going on in your world? You got anything uh, new going on? Any good interviews coming up or stuff planned for the world? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually connected with uh, somebody that you turned me on to, uh, Richard Friesen. Uh, yesterday, mm. we recorded we recorded a podcast for the Outlier Podcast. I renamed Money Talks to that because I realized if you call it the Outlier Podcast, the abbreviation is TOP, which is too fun to not um, take advantage of. So, yeah, I have... Uh, had a really, really fun conversation with him. Like, it's fascinating to me because like we were talking about just a few minutes ago, um, the world of psychology and trading, I think is probably one of the primary differentiators between like mm -hmm. successful retail traders and not, because if it wasn't, and it was, there was a way to systematize what we do, everybody would do that and everybody would make money. So there's a reason why that doesn't happen. And to me, one of the first thresholds is psychology, but I have a very unique approach to it, I believe. and. I don't connect or identify with a lot of like, just, I guess what I consider to be psychological practices and stuff like that. So it was so fun to get to talk to somebody who's so immersed in that world and tap into that experience and just learn about it, man, because it's so foreign to me. So, um, like I, was I just you, wonder if it would have been a completely different experience if you'd met him like 10 years ago or while you were still developing your systems. I feel like that, certainly is the case. I think the problem is, is while I respect people that benefit from those kind of external audits, mm -hmm. I grossly overvalue my capacity to analyze and work through problems autonomously. Like I mm -hmm. never liked the idea of needing external assistance for just about anything. 
And while I do think it's great to get those external inputs, I typically use my friends for that. Right. And, yeah. you know, the, the idea of having like a dedicated session with a professional to, to explore those kinds of things, while I totally understand the utility of it, it just, yeah, it's very foreign to me. So I yeah. couldn't agree more with you though. Like, especially in my formative years, it probably would have been um, just really effective. But a lot of the stuff, I don't know, I kind of had a natural pension. It's, was really interesting hearing some of the techniques and stuff he talks about because it's literally shit that I do, mm -hmm. which is hilarious to me because I don't study any of this. <laughs> oh man, when's that come out? Um, so it'll probably be, I'm guessing like two weeks, something like that. So I'm gonna probably target sometime the week of 17 April, somewhere in there. All right, cool. So right in time for tax season. Yeah, this way when everybody's considering seppuku, <laughs> they could go back through and, you know, get, get through it. Okay. Nice, nice reference there. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> what do we have to talk about today? Anything catching your eye in the, the news? Uh, there's a couple things. I actually am interested to talk about that oil thing that you brought up via OPEC plus. And then I also think we should talk just a little bit about what we're seeing in the central banking world, essentially like globally, where there's mm -hmm. just a lot of talk about the reserve currencies and shifts there and whatnot, which I think is a really cool dialogue. So whichever of those sounds appeal to you. I hadn't been paying too much attention to that. I think I might have saw a couple headlines. So yeah, I, I'm curious to know what's been going on in that world. Um, yeah, if we want to start with the OPEC stuff, though. Um, For sure. Everyone's talking about this being a surprise decision, but is it really that surprising? That's kind of the the thing that I don't quite get. Like, they're saying that the Saudis want higher prices. They've been saying that $95 a barrel is what they've been aspiring to. They're making these cuts like basically right before the summer, you know, driving uh, splurges go on, like when the U.S. typically uses a lot more oil. Like, is it really that surprising that they'd, they'd announce a, a supply cut? I don't know, to be honest. Like, I don't follow the the behavior and the decision cycle of... OPEC plus like that closely, but to me, yeah. I've always identified the summer season as kind of a, an inherent tightening cycle because, you know, just as you're talking about demand goes up, right? So right, right out right. of the gate, there, there, there is in an, in a built in tightening cycle unless production scales with it. So to me, it almost seems like we're doubling up here where we have mm -hmm. that natural cycle but then we're also talking about essentially reducing supply simultaneously, which I, I do find that interesting. I, I got to say. Well, here's the other thing too. Like most of Russia's economy is based on uh, fossil fuels, right? The exporting of oil and natural gases. So I, mm -hmm. I mean, I almost wonder if maybe this isn't something that they're trying to do to just despite us because, you know, OPEC doesn't really much care for the U S <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the, what, what we want is nowhere near their priority list. They couldn't possibly fucking care less. Right. And didn't one of them switch recently to the yawn? I mean, this kind of segues into the story that you brought up, but uh, I thought um, I had seen that one of them was making the transition to switching to uh, uh, taking China's currency rather than the U.S.'s currency for their oil supply. That's, let me see. I thought I had saw that last week, but maybe, uh, maybe that's just something that's been ongoing. Or that they started taking it uh, along with the dollar, maybe instead. That yeah, I think that sounds right to me because I yeah. I do know that a lot of places are starting to accept the the yuan, but I think it, that I just in general I think it's such a fascinating fascinating 
transition because you know just the entire concept of reserve currencies and all of that one of the cool things i love about the markets is like if you've never thought about the reserve currency if you follow the news loosely you're now like oh shit reserve currency it means something but what does it mean and mm-hmm. then you go and you learn about it and like that i just i really enjoy that exercise because the reserve currency is actually a, a it's a long standing function and it dates back to essentially the dutch when they were the ship building expert mm-hmm. so it's like it's just the the history of it's really interesting but from a more hmm. practical standpoint um there's definitely some pretty big effects that are being felt so you know like you were talking about we're starting to see different countries accepting more and more of the yuan and the yuan is already they've made it pretty clear china has made it pretty clear that they want it to be the reserve currency obviously um mm-hmm. Problem is, is I, I just this would actually be a great conversation with Eric. I'd be really curious about his thoughts because, from my ignorant Cro-Magnon perspective, I don't really see a viable alternative yet to the dollar. And that's not because, like, I just dislike China. Um, I actually don't dislike China. I think they're incredibly smart, and a lot of the things that they're doing right now, like I was telling you before, genuinely impress me. But I don't see another alternative. I have a hard time understanding why people would want to put their faith into China's government. Because, I mean, isn't that what you're doing when you're accepting the yuan is like a reserve currency? Is you're assuming that they're going to be around long term to back it? Um, yes. And I mean, I, I would argue that they they probably are going to be around for a while. But I think an equal part of that is not that they want to back China. I think an equal part of it is they want not to back U.S., that right so yeah so i think a lot of it is the you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend or whatever the fuck that saying is um Uh but i i i do believe to a certain degree that that's part of what we're seeing so what was the the latest country to switch over i think i saw it was that brazil in the article that you posted yeah yeah so brazil is now essentially the what it the one top the euro is the second currency in foreign reserves in Brazil. So what it's saying is, is that is slowly becoming the dominant currency in Brazil. So it's not a super far leap before that could potentially become um, the currency. Oh, shit. That happened quick, too. Well, I think the thing that people... But this is, you know, news and media for you. Because mm-hmm. right now, the dollar is still like over 80% of the total foreign reserves in Brazil. Right, But the world sees things starting to move and they're like, oh shit. But to their point, and it's a good point, when we talk about reserve currencies, it typically changes like every hundred years or so. And Hmm. the change is about 15 to 20 years long, like the actual transition. So a lot, like it's not something that you see overnight. So I understand why people are looking at this because it is interesting because this this does start going down that path. It's interesting that Brazil would, especially the, to to increase their ties with China over Europe, like the because right. the yuan replaced the euro to become their second largest uh, foreign yeah. reserve, right? The, so I wonder the what thing, the reasoning behind that was. Uh, it's because China's investing massively, and uh, they just have a they have a naturally close relationship. So from a kind of geopolitical standpoint, and this is more from like you know my. Uh, I don't my my experience in the Marine Corps and like still in the reserves. Like I pay attention to this stuff very closely because it's important. And 
the China Belt and Road Initiative is it's in the works. It's yeah. massive. And we're already starting to see the effects of that exactly as we're talking about right now, which is in Brazil and in a lot of other places that are starting to become um, big feathers in China's cap. And they're developing a very, very effective global infrastructure for themselves. What people don't understand is like China is it's an ancient country. It's yeah. ancient, right? It's oh, all yeah. the civilizations that we have. So China doesn't move super fast. They're not always at the latest and greatest. It's why their approach to technology largely is to steal it from other places, reverse engineer it, and then maybe optimize it a little bit. But they're not at the cutting end of a lot of innovation, comparatively speaking. And but that's they, honestly why I never really took them seriously as a global power is because they don't innovate yet. They don't need to. And that's that's one of the things that, again, they're really good at. Because if you look at where they're expanding all of their influence, they're not executing a 10-year, 20-year, even a 30-year plan. No. They're building a 50-plus-year roadmap, and they're mm -hmm. laying the foundation for it. It's why you know the U.S. is going through this giant green initiative. We want to get away from fossil fuels. Guess who's buying up? all of the fucking lithium providers that goes into yep. our batteries. It is. <laughs> yeah, and they've done very... that. Yeah. They've been, they've been grabbing rare earth metals and all kinds of shit for decades now, I'd say. And it's because they have the foresight and yep. they develop these really long standing processes. That, that's why I'm so impressed by them is I, I love innovation. I wouldn't trade innovation for kind of that style. Because mm -hmm. I also think that that's what ultimately will keep them, I wouldn't say subservient, but I do think it would be very difficult for them to like overtake things. Well, it's hard um, to steal from somebody if you're the leader. You can't be the leader and yeah. still be able to steal technology, right? <laughs> I mean, that makes it a little I mean, more I mean, difficult. I, I think the argument could be maybe they could get to the point where they're proficient enough to, to essentially, you know, accept that role, but then run with it. Mm -hmm. But I think when I when I look at you know, essentially China's GDP is what's expected to surpass the U.S. is by 2030. Yeah. So they're growing very fast. But I think the approach to their growth has some drawbacks that will be realized over time. And it goes back to the reserve currency conversation. Like, we know definitively, not U.S. propaganda, no, but we know objectively that China regularly interferes with the yuan. Not saying that the U.S. doesn't. Right, but right. China manipulates the wand regularly. So because of that, it's almost like, would it make sense to move from the US dollar, which is already in place, already accepted, for essentially the same thing, but that's even less stable? And I is think that, that that's less stable or more stable because they manipulate it. Well, I think it's less stable. And it's to your point, though, I think it's less stable, not in the face value, but in um, what goes into maintaining that face value. Because to your gotcha. point, the face value, yeah, the face value of the wand can actually be very stable, but I think mm -hmm. it's all of the underpinnings that go into making that happen that actually make it less stable because as soon as one of those disconnects or it's not working anymore, right, it's going to be felt pretty severely. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Fucking crazy stuff. This is why the markets are so intriguing, dude, is you learn about all of these things. And even if you don't really care about so the- interconnected. Yes, exactly. Sorry, sorry. Mm -mm. I didn't mean to cut you off there. <laughs> no, 
I, I think, yeah, I think you're spot on. So is Brazil like one of the largest economies to uh, be accepting more of the young? Because I think Brazil is one of the one of the major economies in South America, if not the top. Yeah, I think it's the twelfth largest in the in the Americas. It's got to be pretty far up there in the world stage too. I think. I think it's one of those ones that you don't really think about, but it's like in the top twenty. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm looking it up right now, and I think it's in the top twenty-five. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Number number twelve. Number twelve in the world. Uh, Brazil is the twelfth largest economy in the world and the largest in South America. Yeah. So yeah, I was wrong before. Yeah. I, I thought. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. My wife has never said that to me. But... <laughs> oh man. Um, I was thinking more to the point you were making about how China plays this long game. Um, and that's one of the things that I think the U S has a hard time being able to compete with because we go through election cycles every four exactly years it. for the, the president and the Senate goes through its own, the house goes through its own. That's exactly it. So and not only that, yeah, yeah, not only that, but it's completely divided. Like not, right. again, I, I couldn't possibly care less to dive into the world of politics, but I really do believe that the degree of divisiveness that we've bred, mm-hmm. it just kneecaps us. It absolutely kneecaps us. No, because you're spending the first two years of every new presidency undoing everything the last administration did is what it feels like. Exactly. And I think that without any sort of broader strategic aligned vision, that's exactly what happens. Now, let's let's be clear, though, like. It's not as if China is like this super unified no. or country either. It's definitely not, right? Look at the look at China's history, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the dynasties that they had were just marred by war. So, yeah. and if as soon as you start reading about Mao Zedong, you realize what's going on. So, I, I don't think that they're like super aligned. But what they do do is essentially force it, and they're good at that. Yeah, that's easier when you're communist regime. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So what do you think is the the long-term implications of this? I have no fucking idea. Neither does anybody else. Just something interesting to to pay attention to. Exactly. And I mean, joking aside, I do think it's fascinating. And I have a bunch of different thoughts, but Mm -hmm. I'm really reluctant to, to answer those kind of questions just because I think it promulgates the stereotypical talking heads of financial media that attempt to tie clean, neat bows on probably the most complex systems in the world. So anybody who says definitively that they know what's going to happen is full of shit. Um, but to, we've never to been afraid point, to say, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I say that exactly. A lot. <laughs> because, yes. And that, but I think there's, there's a certain degree of authenticity in that that's missing from a lot of these other sources, because I, I genuinely I, there's a lot of things that could happen. What I do think is in the short term, there's a lot of hysteria and I label it as hysteria because mm-hmm. we're not at a point yet where I think, you know, the, the world writ large is going to start migrating mm-hmm. over to the one. And the other thing beyond that is the fact that I, Russia tried it and they tried to do it with the ruble with natural yeah. gas and whatnot. Yeah. So the, the, I still think even if it even if it started to happen, it would be so fractured because the U.S. is like they're not going to do it. I mean, didn't didn't we? T- I, mean, I always thought that we 
like uh, upped our production of natural gas and oil specifically to tank the Russian economy since we knew it was so dependent on it. Like I, I always had the thought that that was kind of like the, the end game of, of that, like opening up a lot of the reserves in the U.S. and, and doing more of the, the drilling. Well, I mean, to, to be honest, that's a big part of just this entire proxy war that we're fighting right now via Ukraine. Right. Yeah. Is it's to just continue to kneecap Russia. That's what people fail to understand in a lot of these instances is that, you know, it's it's much less about the short term um this is the pain that's happening right now or this sucks right now. It is very much about 20 years from now, 30 years from now, like who's positioned where. Yeah, everybody says they want to use more of our oil. I always say, why don't we use up the world's oil first and then we can use ours? <laughs> like, wouldn't that be a better and scenario? The, and, <laughs> and that's exactly it. And and we yeah. can fucking fuel it via debt. And debt gets a really bad rap in a lot of ways. I think in the US, we definitely do have a debt problem to be completely straightforward because yeah. our, our our spending is just, it, it. and this isn't, again, this isn't like a conservative or liberal bifurcation and thought process. It's just, it literally is dollars and cents. And just the spending is, it's, we're going to essentially perpetually be in debt, which, you know, who knows? There's a lot of smart people making these decisions, but. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. All right. Well, we got a few more minutes left before we wrap this up. I wanted to just uh, uh, toss an, uh, something over your way just to kind of get your opinion or your thoughts on it. I was thinking about the the idea of like taking time off, like when you're when your job is to make money in the stock market. Like, how often are you taking time away from that? Like, how often are you going on vacations just to like kind of refresh, reset your batteries, and keep yourself fresh? Um, there are really different things for me. So like oh, yeah? the, the, yeah. So the whole idea is to, to create the financial structure to be able to do relatively, you know, the things that you want to do. Um, but very rarely am I in a position where it's like, I'm just so beat down that I've got to take time. Otherwise, like my mental health isn't there. Or I can't function properly anymore. I don't really get to that state. And that might be just because the, I mean, you got a much different system than trying to, to day trade too. So that makes sense that like for you, it's more about exactly. maintaining positions, like just check on them every now and then. Exactly. That, that, and that is 100%. And that's 100% why I've spent so much of my life attempting to create the infrastructure that I have for trading is for that exact benefit, literally right there. Because hmm. could I have more aggressively grown my account? Um, probably like if I really wanted to, I, I probably could have, but again, like thinking, talking about these deep games back when I was in my early twenties, I already knew 
I, I love the markets. I'm fascinated by them. But I already knew the whole point of me doing what I do is to create freedom. Mm-hmm. So the idea of being in a position where the only way you can continue to generate income is to be strapped in front of a screen, waiting for a certain condition to pop up, hoping that you can take advantage of it, sounds awful to me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're doing that for nine hours a day, but if you can do it for one or two hours a day. Even still, I mean, to me, that's very um, spoon to mouth style of hmm. existence. and. Yeah, I just I because then everything you do, everything you do comes in the lens of an opportunity cost. And right. that yes, starts yes. to weigh on you. Like I, I don't want to be put in that position. That I think you just basically explained why it's so hard to take a day off when you're trying to do the the trading that I'm trying to do. Because it's exactly right. Like you feel like you're missing out. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like I told you, I, I essentially I have the emotional intelligence of a rock, but if you think of it pragmatically, that that's that's exactly what it comes down to. It's just a trade-off. Interesting thing is the way I the way I used to combat that was by just taking time to do observation challenges, like spend a week just observing the markets, only observing, and then just making note of how many opportunities are present every day, and knowing that there's opportunities to take advantage of every day. Like refreshing that in my mind has made me feel less stress about missing this one because there'll be another one. Miss this one. Okay. There'll be another one later. It's no big deal. Don't have to chase it. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think that that's huge. And I think that that is still probably one of the biggest issues with attempting to day trade. I, I really think day trade is such a fucking scam. I really do. I think day trading, <laughs> I think it's promulgated as like this super cool way to do whatever you want, trade from wherever you want and yada, yada, yada. And I genuinely think it's all fucking bullshit. I think most people who attempt to trade those timeframes as like their sole means of trading don't do well unless you're an institution. That's not to say that you can't do well. There are plenty of people who can do well. But even if you get to the point where you can do well, what is, again, what's the opportunity cost? How much time does it take? And what other things could you be doing with that time? Like the last session we were talking about, you know, you and I were discussing um, some of the other things that I'm getting involved in via the commercial real estate stuff. And the only reason why I'm doing that is because I'm not so suppressed attempting to make ends meet via my trading that I can very easily pick my head up, look left, look right, and look for other opportunities. Well, I mean, one of the things, one of the things we were told in the very beginning when we started pursuing this path is that successful day traders turn into investors. Like they don't stick around long. They make their money, then they turn into more of a long-term type strategy and they just let that grow. Once you've made your money, you don't need to keep extracting more and more out of it. You go enjoy it. Sure. I mean, that sounds good. I don't know many people that do that successfully. (laughs) Right, right. Like I know a very few traders personally and the, again this i i throw the word personally not as like an appeal to authority but just because this is like my own personal foxhole like my my contact points are limited but mm. i know of very few traders that started as day traders and then migrated away from it into something else they just died at the computer screen i don't know of many successful day traders yeah there's like any have you been on Twitter? Uh, I would have to think really hard about this, honestly, but I would almost wager that any of my 
friends and like my trader friends, I probably have maybe 25 or 30 of them just for like a sample size. Mm -hmm. And I don't know any that just day trade. Hmm. I'll have to give you a list of people to talk to and see what, uh, see if I can get some people to change your mind. Oh, I, again, like day trading is entirely viable. Like I know I've read plenty of books about it and I know plenty of people that have tinkered with it in some capacity or another. And what it tells me is like, if you can sexually date successfully day trade is like part of a system, why couldn't you just do most of that? Right. So I know it's, right. I know it's possible, but my, my broader point is, um, I don't know many that have like knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Any of I the people you. that you. you're reading their books about trading, most of them are not day trading as the primary vehicle. Interesting. What are they doing? Um, well, I mean, I, I look at somebody like Mark Minervini. He's a great example of like a different style to what I do, but was supremely successful. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I like using him as an example is because I'm pretty sure he even dropped out of fucking high school. So it's not like this is like some super educated dude. So he's like very much a trader trader, but essentially he trades Canslim, like a version of Canslim that he's modified to himself and he swing trades. So he's mm-hmm. holding things for longer periods of time to take advantage of big moves. Um, so I like most people that I know that do really well are close to that. Not that exact see, style, yeah. but yeah. I, I have noticed a tendency that seems to, to, lengthen your time horizon every time i've done that it seems like i've had better success of course because something to keep the most mind. difficult the most difficult time frame to trade is intraday i i right. and i say this tongue-in-cheek because i traded zero dte spx short strangles today and i made some money on them so it's not that i don't do it but i think the people that dedicate their entire toolkit and strategy set to do only that time frame that's where the giant mistake is. I think being able to trade short-term, zero DTE, two DTE a week, whatever, I think all of that's good. But this goes back to my general approach to the markets where I think as soon as you become, as soon as you become too boxed in and you only have, you're a one-trick pony or a two-trick pony, there's gonna be a lot of fucking times where you don't do well or you have to sit out. That mm-hmm. doesn't appeal to me. Like my entire objective is to seamlessly do my best to interact with the markets. I am here to just try to take some money out of there. I'm not trying to impose what I prefer, what I think the market should do, what strategies that I like, what timeframes that I like. None of that matters. What matters is what the market's doing and how can I apply the best fit strategy to take advantage to the best of my ability of the current market conditions. I think that's the name of the fucking game. Mm-hmm. I think that's very well said. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for for sharing that. That was actually a really fun discussion. We might have to. Well, I have to try to set up another. Oh, yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. I'm curious, like, because I know that you trade shorter term timeframes like that. What, like, what is your wear and tear like on your just mental faculty faculties like week over week? Do you feel it like weighing on you? What I feel weighing on me is all the other stuff that I've got going on outside of trading. Uh, mm, like, that's interesting. I think I've talked to you a bit about some of the opportunities that we've got coming up and there's been a lot of, uh, push to get, uh, some materials put together for some, uh, another, uh, opportunity to grow the podcast and, and that aspect of the business. And, got it. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, like there's this, uh, this feeling of like, I'd rather just kind of take a couple of days away from that, spend some time working, get all this stuff together. But then there's that guilt feeling, like you said, like, oh, what's the opportunity cost? What am I missing out? I'm still paying for data. 
I'm paying for this uh, eval account that I'm halfway to to getting uh, past. Like, do I want to? Do I want to just lose that? Yeah, it's the opportunity cost. It's basically what it boils down to. Got it. And I think you did a great job of putting that into words, and that gives me something to reflect on. I think. Yeah, it's it's super interesting because I to to me it seems like a really 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 tough way um, to essentially you know get the job done. Problem is, I just like oh. it so much. <laughs> I know. Like I just thoroughly enjoyed like, the doing it. Like I enjoy the the people that I interact with. I enjoy the sharing of ideas, the researching new strategies and setups. Um, but I mean, like you said, I think I might have pigeonholed myself into one time frame, and maybe I need to start looking to branch that out again. I also think that that's just one of the most like toxic aspects to fall into with trading is when it's a hobby, like when you really like it. Like I genuinely believe that's when like trading becomes the most dangerous. When it's a hobby. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm not like treating it like a hobby. I'll tell you that right now. Well, what it, what I mean is like when it's something that like you thoroughly enjoy, that it's something that like you derive satisfaction from. Mm, I think I you, see. I think you can derive satisfaction from it, but it's like a really delicate dance to keep it like mentally sequestered so that it doesn't become ah, a source of satisfaction. Right, right. Interesting. Hmm. Well, we've gone longer than I was hoping. So <laughs> I, I knew when I brought this topic up that that was going to happen, but that's all right. That's uh, fair. All fucking awesome discussions. I love having these. I love having you on. Uh, thanks again for, for joining. And thank you listeners for sticking around to the end of this thing. If you want to see more or hear more from Eric, make sure you check out his YouTube channel at ES Invests uh, and Twitter of the same name. You can check us out at twobullsinachinashop.com. We'll be back in your ears soon with another exciting episode. But until then, uh, share this episode with your friends like it's hepatitis C and take care. Goodbye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades. That's the second time you said the word bifurcate. My wife's going to be so happy. Why? She's a wordophile. She loves words. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. It's Especially when they're big words and good words and they're used correctly. Mm. <laughs>